Hello, I'm Jason Dick, and this is the CQ on Congress Coronavirus Special Report. We are bringing you daily updates on the policy news you need to know using the reporting prowess of the CQ Roll Call Newsroom. Today is Monday, March 30th, 2020. And we just want to do it right. So we picked the end of April, uh, the last day, April 30th. That's President Donald Trump reversing course from last week when he said he expected to see the country up and running by Easter on April 12th. Down Pennsylvania Avenue, the U.S. Capitol is basically a ghost town. The normally bustling campus has been advised to stay home until at least April 20th. Meanwhile, nearly three out of four Americans are also being told to stay home. The nation's top infectious disease doctor, Anthony Fauci, said that more than 100,000 Americans could die from COVID-19. More than 155,000 Americans are infected, and at least 2,800 people have died. And lawmakers are beginning to talk about what kind of stimulus package might be needed next. Today, we're going to take a step back and talk with some of my colleagues about what it has been like the last two hectic and historic weeks as Congress worked to pass multi-trillion dollar stimulus measures. Joining me is Niels Lesniewski, who has been shuttling back and forth from the White House to Capitol Hill. Catherine Tully McManus, who has been uh, one of our uh, stalwarts at the Capitol as well, and was in the chamber as well on on Friday uh, afternoon, morning and afternoon for the the sort of historic weird procedural vote (laughs) uh, that Thomas Massey uh, made sure happened. And Tom Williams, uh, our senior staff photographer, who has been not just in the Capitol, but also just really all around the region, uh, taking pictures, making sure that we document this moment in history, what it was like, not just in the Capitol, but also how the region is dealing with it. So uh, welcome to the CQ on Congress podcast, all of you. Thank you. Uh, Niels, let's let's start with you. You're relatively new to the White House slash, you know, uh, you're our slashy. It's like model actress, right? You know, <laughs> um, but the you're you're new to the White House beat, and you've been going back and forth, getting your temperature checked at the White House, uh, and and so forth. Um, let's let's talk about you know what this was like. I mean, you probably I'm I'm guessing didn't quite imagine this. You thought that impeachment was probably going to be the most difficult assignment that you would have to deal with as a White House correspondent. Uh, let's talk about some of the highlights, you know, for for you uh, as you sort of have been going back and forth to both sides of Pennsylvania Avenue. Sure. The, the fact of the matter is at the White House, uh, access is always a lot more controlled than it is at the Capitol. But it's been really remarkable to see uh, just how much uh, it's been restricted uh, lately. There are, as you say, there are temperature checks uh, outside of the gate of the West Wing. And there are also, before any event that involves uh, President Trump or Vice President Pence, uh, there are folks from the White House Medical Office coming through uh, and taking uh, temperatures. And and the White House Correspondents Association uh, also is doing the best uh, that it seems like it possibly can to limit the number of people who are in the White House press briefing room. You know, at the beginning, this was actually really kind of scary, because even as there were discussions going on about social distancing, uh, trying to stay six feet away from uh, people... That was not the case in the sardine can of the White House briefing room. And uh, so that has improved mightily. We have a whole series of press pools that are set up 
The other thing that I will say, shuttling back and forth to the Capitol, that has been sort of fascinating to watch is that none of this is in place at the Capitol. So while there are people from the White House medical office who are screening constantly to make sure no one has a, uh, is running a temperature, there's nothing like that from the office of the attending physician at the Capitol. Uh, and KTM might be able to speak more to that, but, but it is sort of a weird phenomena that when you're in one branch of government, you're playing by one set of rules, and in a different branch, you're playing by a completely different set of rules, even as some of the same administration officials are in both places. And that's actually a good transition to to Catherine. Um, uh, for, and for those of you who do not know uh, Catherine's nickname around the newsroom and among her friends, it is uh, usually uh, KTM uh, is, is, is the reference point. So that was the uh, what, what you heard uh, uh, Neil say. I mean, Catherine, this this came to a uh, to a head really on Friday in the chamber because you know the, there was talk that the um, that the House, after receiving the the two you know trillion dollar phase three stimulus, that they were going to just you know voice vote it or use unanimous consent. And there was one lawmaker who demanded a recorded vote, uh, even as like everybody was still scattered because they're in, in technically in recess at uh, this last week. Everybody was scattered around the country, and this this made you know it ensured that people would have to get on planes in order for them to have a quorum. Talk. Let's talk a little bit about that. And I also want to talk to ask you about some of these informal pools, uh, pool coverage that that have been set up uh, in in the Capitol. Yes, Thomas Massey was the least popular person in Washington on Friday, I would this say. This is a re Republican congressman from Kentucky. Uh, members on both sides of the aisle, leadership on both sides of the aisle, and President Trump uh, were all voicing great displeasure that so many lawmakers had to get on planes and drive overnight to hustle back to the Capitol for this vote that he uh, was threatening to force. Um, and what they really needed was just bodies in that room, bodies in the chamber, because they knew it was not going to come to a roll call type vote where they go through all the names. They just needed a quorum. Um, so to shuttle which, yourself which is all the country, uh, put yourself in danger just to sit in a room to be a body was incredibly frustrating for some of these lawmakers. And they were not shy about letting us know that. A quorum is 216 members, correct? I mean, that, that's that's because you, you, we just needed a majority of the House to show up. We didn't need all 435, correct? Correct. And so that left some members who were in particularly at risk or live with people who are particularly at risk to stay home. That did a, give some buffer room for members who were especially concerned to stay home. But it also allowed some members to make uh, choices that people have questioned, including a number of members of the New York delegation who are supposed to, if they leave New York City, to quarantine for 14 days because of the situation and the number of cases in that location. Uh, but they were on the floor uh, chatting with colleagues at an appropriate distance. But uh, when you're supposed to be quarantined, even six feet isn't uh, following the guidelines. And we're also we've got like five members of the of the House who have tested positive, uh, or five members of Congress so, so far. Uh, a couple of them, you know, got their test positive diagnosis back on coronavirus after the vote. But it was it made for a sort of a scary situation. Absolutely, and members were very cognizant of that. And something that I noticed is 
Well, they opened up the balconies, the galleries, all throughout the chamber so that members did not have to crowd on the floor of the house and sit next to each other in all those chairs. Uh, they got to go up where visitors and uh, wives and spouses usually sit uh, to spread themselves out throughout the chamber. And the clerk was hesitant, but eventually relented and allowed those people in the balcony to be counted for the quorum. And, uh, and during the debate and then the then the vote, uh, you and Lindsay McPherson, uh, your your colleague, uh, were here at CQ roll call. You actually uh, devised a spreadsheet of people who were there and shared it with your other the other members of the press who were there, so they could keep track too. An example of these sort of informal pooling, you know, that that has has you know kind of cropped up in the Capitol. Absolutely, we started that spreadsheet mostly for ourselves, uh, and then. Paul Kane from the Washington Post was intrigued and asked if he could use it and also credit us uh, for keeping that list. And we shared it with him and then realized, you know what, we have our own colleagues who are at home trying to cover this. We have friends in the press corps who, you know, cannot be at the Capitol because of social distancing and because of risks to themselves and their families. So why not share it? Uh, so we shared that widely on Twitter and we hope that it did help people. It was absolutely not 100% perfect or complete because there's no way that two sets of eyeballs could count all those members, uh, but we did the best we could. And I would say that was just our contribution to what has been a few weeks now of incredible generosity among the press corps. One of the bright spots, I would say, in this horrible coronavirus situation has been the cooperation among the press corps on Capitol Hill. It's brought me a lot of joy and relief uh, to have reporters who are usually competing for scoops, trying to get you know a better quote for their story, a better quote for their TV hit from lawmakers, just sending audio files of a conversation they had with a lawmaker to dozens of other reporters, either on the Capitol or working from home, so that we could keep doing our jobs and so that we were not crowding lawmakers and crowding each other uh, to hopefully keep as many of us safe as possible. That took down kind of a barrier and made it a big collaborative effort. And that was so refreshing and really comforting to know that if so-and-so is talking to a senator that they're going to send me that. And so I did not necessarily have to jump into that uh, and make a crowd where you didn't need to have a crowd during these scary times. Tom, you're uh, used to just sort of like elbowing into position uh, it, dur right. during scrums and so forth. I mean, you know, obviously, I mean, you the photographers are a pretty tight bunch. You all know each other. Um, there, there is sometimes a, a pecking order uh, that, that, take, that establishes itself uh, but like, what what's your experience been like? You know, as as you've been, um, you know, sort of working out your own protocols. Doing the house steps the other day after the vote, I was the only still photographer there. Mm -hmm. and there was a pool video guy there, so we kind of stayed away. But you know, you still have to negotiate for position. Like in the Senate studio the other day, Lindsey Graham and some others had a press conference, and the reporters were nicely spaced out. But the photographers still had to like move around them and like angle up a picture because. You can't just shoot a picture from anywhere. You have to worry about what your background is and things like that. And you're using wide angle lenses a lot, which requires you to get close. So you have to, you know, shoot a little bit farther back. So you're kind of losing pictures a little bit. Like Joe Kennedy was sitting on the ground the other day mm -hmm. um, outside 
the half steps and I was trying to shoot it long. And by the time I got my courage up to go over and be like, Hey, sir, sorry, I'll try to be six feet away from you. You know, by the time I had that sentence coming out, he was already, he already moved. So it's not great for pictures, but you know, trying to adapt as best as possible as, as everybody else. And I mean, what's going through your mind? I mean, cause you're, you've been not just in the Capitol, but you've been like riding your bike around town and getting yeah. pictures of what this moment's like, you know, in for Washington DC for the Capitol. I was on my bike the other day and it, it felt like, you know, on, on like Thanksgiving or Christmas where nobody's out, you know, except right. in the middle of the, of a work day. Right. Like last week I was riding around, I went to Georgetown on the last classes were already shut, but the kids were still on the campus and they were like in their caps and gowns getting their graduation pictures taken early. So I'm just trying to go where I think maybe people will be doing something outside. I anticipated like students out, uh, you know, studying and stuff, but I got some pictures of the graduation stuff. Now all students are gone. I'm pretty sure now. Um, tomorrow, I think Bill Clark, our photo editor, had a good idea. Um, we're going back through our pictures of the year to see where big crowds were gathered throughout mm -hmm. the year and then go back and uh, photograph them empty. So I was actually just going through photos. I'm probably going to do something from the Nationals Parade in November where, you know, there's this craziness along Constitution Avenue. Uh, pick some of those pictures and then go back and reshoot them, um, you know, empty. So things like that. Um, I've been trying to go to businesses that are affected. I went to Irish Times the other day, one of our old stomping grounds. Mm -hmm. uh, got the empty bar room with just some guy waiting for takeout. Um, things like things like that. There are things still open that I'm going to try to hit this week and the following weeks. Um, do a little research and see uh, what's open, serving the community, and see how their businesses have adjusted. So that's the upcoming plan. Yeah, I actually I ran into two lawmakers this morning on my walk around Lincoln Park. Uh, Jim McGovern, who's the House Rules Committee chairman and uh, a, a Democrat from Massachusetts, I think sort of understandably sort of sheltering here because of what a hot spot Massachusetts is, is. And also, I think, you know, his, he, for the most part, lives here. Uh, and then uh, Kirsten Gillibrand was jogging. Uh, it was just in, in kind of an interesting scene to see two of yeah. them at the same time. I wish I wish I would have thought that the, to, to have you stake out something like that. You know? you know, I'll probably be riding around the hill. That's interesting. Kirsten Gillibrand's um jogging we saw dan sullivan the senator jogging on fr the friday vote so the senate was out and he jogged yeah. by the house steps and he was talking to sean patrick maloney and that was an interesting picture him um, sullivan just in jogging gear and you know maloney right waiting to go on the vote and they were chit-chatting about the vote and <laughs> maloney's explaining to him about how massey was holding everything up and Sullivan's like, oh, he's a dumbass, and walks away. <laughs> yeah, um, I said, yeah. I've, I've, uh, one of the reporters tweeted that. Uh, that's why I feel safe saying that because I was yeah. stopping. There's, there's been uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of profanity uh, uttered uh, among, uh, towards Thomas Massey, uh, which uh, a lot of reporters have been sharing too. Um, Niels, uh, the, I mean, we've talked a little bit about the difference between you know being at the White House and then being at the Capitol. Because the you know the White House is at such uh, the kind of nexus of of policy on this with guidelines and so forth and and you know the president has a daily briefing now uh, that he he is doing. What's it like just from being there? Not just from the the protocols for you know getting into the, the facilities and so forth, but what's it like just being there? I mean, like one of your colleagues in the White House press corps 
uh, has a positive coronavirus uh, diagnosis. And I know you had to go through the, the the sort of seating chart and your dates at the White House to make sure that you hadn't been exposed to him. I mean, what's is it is it uh, really tense there? Uh, it certainly is. the 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 biggest question mark, I think, is always you know you assume, particularly in the quarters that we have in the basement. Those in the audience who are unfamiliar with where the White House press corps actually works, uh, there is a fairly tightly confined basement area underground where our desk is and a lot of other news outlets have desks uh, and, and networks, radio and television have, have little tiny booths that are often overcrowded. And so there certainly always is the, the situation where anytime anyone coughs, four people turn around and look at them. And it's also true, uh, I think the other thing that, that is certainly very strange is the apparent discovery by President Trump of the White House press briefing room. Uh, because <laughs> the, the fact that uh, this administration was notorious for not having press briefings until this uh, crisis started, um, the daily press briefing had completely disappeared. Uh, frankly, there was there was just a whole bunch of stuff and clutter that had collected in the briefing room because there was no expectation that it would ever be used. And now, five o'clock every day, there's pretty much uh, a press briefing that more often than not features the president uh, himself. It's, of course, one of the things that goes on in the briefing room that you may notice uh, is uh, that the, the television correspondents often will stand up and turn around uh, immediately before and immediately after the president finishes and, and, and do their sort of live stand-ups. That is very complicated in a situation where you end up face-to-face. -face. The seat that I've had the last couple of times that I've been there has left me face to face with a television correspondent who is basically talking directly in my face, which is kind of an unusual situation to be in uh, in the era of social distancing. Speaking of of awkward moments of not quite social distancing, uh, Catherine, uh, you're you ended up uh, in uh, the, the subject of a New York Times uh, photograph uh, within about you know a couple of inches, it seemed, uh, of a lawmaker who later tested positive for. For COVID nineteen, Let, let's talk about that. Uh, that your your moment uh, in uh, in uh, the New York Times recently. Yeah, about two weeks ago, I walked and talked with Senator Rand Paul uh, when he was, you know, doing what he does, which is objecting to a major piece of legislation in the Senate. <laughs> we were walking through the tunnels in the Senate basement. I was with a handful of other reporters, but. We were asking him about being a physician at this time on Capitol Hill and are his colleagues asking him questions and things like that. Uh, honestly, I didn't use any of his comments, I don't think, in my story that day. Uh, but a few days later on a Sunday when I was again at the Capitol, uh, he announced that he had been tested and tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, and later that day, it came out that my conversation with him, which was photographed by Aaron Schaff of the New York Times, uh, was after he had been tested. So he had already had enough concern about himself to be tested and then continued with his regular schedule of interacting with reporters, interacting with his colleagues. Um, 
if there have been expletives about Thomas Massey, uh, I would say there have also been a few about Senator Rand Paul and that behavior after what, he... What, what is it about Kentucky? <laughs> yeah, um, it has been pretty striking. Uh, the photo that the New York Times had was used with a story about Rand Paul going about his business after already being tested and then testing positive. Uh, so everyone, and the, the cut line, the caption for the photo uh, specifically said, talking with reporters after he had been tested, uh, which at the time that I had that conversation, I did not know that. To have a photo capture the moment that I was officially exposed to the virus, that's a souvenir I'll never forget. Uh, we're going to wrap up uh, with Tom. Uh, Tom, because you are, uh, you, as I love to point out, you have been working a roll call, uh, roll call longer than any of us. Uh, right. you, you, you may not be as old as I am, but you're an old soul. Uh, so. <laughs> but how does this compare? I mean, you've been here for some very big moments, 9-11, the financial crisis, uh, you know, the inauguration of Barack Obama. I mean, like, what? how does this compare with the biggest events that you've covered uh, as, as a journalist? It's probably closest resembles 9-11 because you just kind of don't know what the outcome is. And also around that time, uh, there was anthrax being shipped around. Right. So it came to the Hill. I forget exactly whose office it came to. I think I know. I don't want to mistake. It Tom Daschle's office, yeah. In the, okay. I thought in, there was a the heart building. Yeah. Right. So at that time, all the uh, all the people exposed to heart building or were in there at a certain time had to get prescribed or took this medicine called Cipro, I think it was called. Yeah. I just moved, actually, and I was going through all my crap, and I actually found my Cipro. I don't know why I didn't take it all at the time. But so that's what happened. happened. <laughs> right, right. That explains a lot. But just kind of don't know how this is all going to wrap up. Uh, you know, the healthcare people seem pretty positive. If we do the social distancing, it'll work itself out. But uh, I, yeah, that's the time I mostly compare it to. Well, Niels, Catherine, uh, Tom, thank you so much for you know talking about like what it's been like to cover this. Um, we're we've got a lot more work to do in covering it, um, certainly in the weeks and months ahead. But I think this was a good uh, stopping point to just collect our thoughts uh, after the president signed the the uh, latest stimulus, the phase three stimulus. So I think thank you for sharing your your memories and and your recollections. And uh, let's you know stay safe, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks. Finally, in the category of no good deed goes unpunished, many distillers got a tax break in last week's stimulus bill so they could make hand sanitizer, but an FDA rule may stop them from distributing it. The FDA is afraid that children may try to drink the distiller-produced sanitizer or lick their hands. A letter from 87 members of Congress are urging the FDA to reconsider. That's all from CQ on Congress, Coronavirus Special Report. From all of us at CQ Roll Call, I'm Jason Dick, and thank you for listening.